Whenever it was time for the presidential fitness test in school, I knew I could ace exactly one of the challenges, the sit and reach test. With my short legs and long torso, I knew I could get one of the highest scores in the class. It didn't hurt, it was the only exercise where I could sit down. But for the rest of the challenges, including pull-ups and mile runs, it was a public display confirming what the rest of my classmates already knew. I was a fat kid. This episode, understandably, was difficult for me because I've always struggled with my weight. As long as I can remember, I've been a bigger guy. In regards to identity, before I consider myself you know, straight, white, or a guy, I tend to think of myself as fat. That may be hard to hear, and it's hard to say, but I think this conversation with writer and comedian Janish Meeting has helped me to come to terms a little more with my own chubby body and to love it a little bit more. I hope it helps you too. I'm Graham High, and this is Straight White Guy Listening. Uh, my name is Janish Meeting. I am Minakanju Lakota. I'm an educator and um, a podcast producer and podcast host of the podcast Woman of Size. How many more times can I say podcast? Probably <laughs> a lot. Cool. Yeah. And uh, can you tell us about uh, your podcast? Yeah. Um, Woman of Size is a podcast uh, mostly about bodies and the lives that live in bodies. Um, and... It's a lot about weight stigma, um, size issues, um, particularly that affect um, marginalized people. Um, but with that conversation come a lot of different aspects of identity. So a lot of the topics um, on the podcast center around gender, uh, race, um, um, identity uh, beyond just what we look like. Um, um, identity informed by our experiences. And my experience as a native woman, a Lakota woman who grew up in a pretty colonized white world, um, I'm exploring that a lot more on the podcast and interviewing a lot more native people and um, trying to use that as a lens with which to look at um, weight stigma, fatness, and um, the systems and structures that continue to oppress us in our bodies. That's a hard thing to explore, especially in today's yeah. kind of... <laughs> yeah, it's uh, very hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that you say that it goes beyond just weight and everything. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge conversation. Mm -hmm. And we try to explore some of those topics in our podcast too, mm -hmm. but we haven't ever really talked about the physical body. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked a little bit about blackness and whiteness, mm -hmm. and mostly in racial constructs, but not as much the tangible flesh and blood right. body. And I think that's what we really liked about your podcast when mm -hmm. we were listening to it. Um, and something that we liked that you open up by talking, asking the person about their body, how they describe their body. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to do it. Okay. Talk about my body. Great. Uh, Let's hear it. So, how do you, what language do you use to describe and discuss your body? Uh, I, I generally call myself a, a chubby guy. Okay. Uh, I love the word chubby. A lot of people don't like it. Really? Yeah. 
I, I find it kind of endearing in a way. It's kind I do of too. diminutive, but it's yeah. Uh, it's a soft mm-hmm. word. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I I use heavy sometimes, or mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a big spectrum. Sure is. of words. Yes, uh, there is. Um, I use the word chubby too. And um, I think that the pushback against chubby is also the same pushback that uh, happens for the word curvy, um, which is that let's just uh, normalize the word fat and make it um, uh, less scary, Mm -hmm. reclaim it um, so that it it takes the the weight Uh, out of the word fat. Um, and I get that. And I have started to use fat more Mm -hmm. readily, um, when I'm discussing my body. Um, but the Lakota word for fat is chepa. Oh, and that sounds like chubby. Yeah, it does. And I love the word chubby. And my family has always used the word chubby. The women in my family have used the word chubby to describe ourselves our Mm -hmm. entire lives. Um, and I would say that we are chubby. We're cute, round, little softies. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm not that well versed in how to talk about mm-hmm. bodies, especially bodies like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I call myself chubby in front of people that aren't what I would call chubby, mm-hmm. they're usually like, oh, no, no, you're great just the way you are. And I understand their sentiment. Right. Uh, but I think it just shows how hard it is for us to discuss yeah, because um, even just when you are saying that, the language that we use to when we announce ourselves as fat or chubby or of size in any way, um, uh, a, a person's immediate response is, you are fine. You're fine the way you are. You're good. No, mm-hmm. I, I love you. Like, I don't I don't want you to be that because we assign morality mm-hmm. to size. We right. assign so much with a word. Um, and that's really a big issue um, with fat phobia is that um, we without knowing anyone's medical history, as we should not know anyone's medical history (laughs) without knowing what they're going through, their lived experience, their past traumas, the traumas that came before them. We assign based upon what we see on a person Mm -hmm. um, in their physical body. We assign a lot of morality, good or bad. And fatness happens to be bad. It means that you're unhealthy. It means that you are lazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can rattle off the implications. Right. I think since it is one of those things that people associate with choice. Yes. uh, That it's a lot easier to judge. Yeah. And even it's because it's hard because when we talk about choice, we're also limiting who is allowed choice. Mm. Not everybody has choice in this world. We actually, as a woman, I have less choice than a man. Mm. Um, if I were a trans person or a person with a gender non-binary person, I would have a lot less choice in this world. If I'm a person who lives in a place that has very low uh, access to food, to healthy food, those people don't have choices. Mm-hmm. These are not, you know, there's a lot of communities, pretty much marginalized communities who aren't living in that same 
choice, you know? Right. Choice is a privilege in this this nation. (laughs) Right. I mean, I haven't really thought about it that way as far as the lived experience you're in takes you to, could take you to fatness or heaviness or something like that. And it's not as easy yeah, or, or it's, it's just genetic, you know, or, right. you know, it's, it is, we, we do assign choice to it. We think that it's something that people can change and have control over. And it's really dangerous to see it as that, because mm-hmm. when we say you can choose to do something else with your body, then we get a lot of things like disordered eating. Can you kind of walk me through your experience to kind of how you ended up in this place where you obviously, you know, a lot about this topic. So how did you get to where you are now? Um, First and foremost, I come from a background of educators. So I was raised by educators. Generations before me were educators. When I moved to New York city after studying theater in college, um, I immediately got involved with um, the New York City Teaching Fellows, and I became a teacher in the South Bronx. And I've always been interested in social justice and justice issues and and, and anti-racism. Um, as early as I can remember, I've been interested in that. But I was also, I was raised by educators who are Native <laughs> um, or um, allies and accomplices to a Native community. So that has always been something that I've been passionate about. Well... Working in and teaching in the South Bronx was extremely illuminating. And it was a situation where I was able to uh, witness a lot of injustice and see how um, um, kind of national injustice plays out on the most vulnerable communities. Mm. You know, I was living in New York City. I was also um, doing a lot of comedy. So I started um, learning how to write for myself and tell my own stories and tell them in a comedic way that I believe is more palatable to wider audiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I really refined that tool. Um, So when I came out to Los Angeles um, with the hopes of, you know, working in television, I feel like I have a lot of tools in my toolbox to have um, really frank and honest conversations and authentic conversations with other individuals about our experiences. Um, and I think, and I truly believe that telling our own stories about Mm. our experiences, especially if we come from marginalized backgrounds, that this will change the national narrative. This will start to change the way people are thinking and experiencing compassion for each other. Um, And compassion is the source of a lot of change. We really have to give a shit about people in order to actually make fundamental change to change people's lives. You've put a lot of focus in this world of body. Should we, is it body positivity? What is the umbrella that we kind of- It's hard to say what it is. It's uh. Uh, let's say it's not body positivity because then we will go down a a scary path Mm -hmm. and we'll get to that. I'm sure. Um, I will say uh, a a piece of a a term that I want to get used to more in my life is body neutrality. Mm. I want us to have an equal playing field 
all of us in terms of how we think about our bodies and how we discuss our bodies. Um, and I don't want to fucking think about my body all the time. Right. I really don't. Right. I don't think you do either. No, I don't think no. any of us really want to be constantly obsessing about our how we appear. Right. Um, so body neutrality is um, a term that I'm trying to use. And I also think if I, I truly believe that body positivity doesn't include everyone. Hmm. Uh the the implications of the that term have become really commodified um and i don't know i say this sometimes but it's not an official term but i feel like it's become yogafied right yeah <laughs> if yeah. that makes any sense yeah. like it's become a new agey fucking aesthetic where it's like body positivity let's get into downward dog and feel good about our yeah. like thin bodies, uh, yeah. our thin whiteness. Um, <laughs> but uh, I have come to learn and believe and espouse that you cannot have body positivity without fat positivity. In fact, you should center fat positivity if you want to achieve body, true body positivity. Do you mind explaining what fat positivity is? Uh, I think it means that we um, release the negative stigma and connotations um, from the concept of fatness, that we actually um, uplift and amplify and, um, uh, you know, we honor fatness in the mm -hmm. same way that we have honored thinness for our entire existences. Let's do the same for fatness. Let's talk about it as if it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Um, that doesn't mean we are saying fatness is the thing we should be striving for, but we shouldn't be striving for thinness either. Mm -hmm. Let's not strive for anything. Let's just be uh, positive about everyone's, everyone's bodies, you know? Fat positivity is just the, um, yeah, just releasing that negative stigma mm -hmm. and um, um, making sure that we are... Uh, seeing a fat person for the person, the whole person that they are and not just for their fatness. So I think one of the main things that I, and I, you know, in my own journey, I'm always trying to balance out health with feeling okay with myself. Mm. And so I think that's something that a lot of people have a hard time with. Yeah. It's a real problem because this is the core. I think the core argument against fat positivity or against body neutrality is this health stigma that mm -hmm. we carry around the assumption. And this is an assumption that has been uh, perpetrated by the medical community. <laughs> like this, this is like, like a, I think that radical fat activists and advocates um, have real problem and real work to do with medicine mm. and the way that we talk about our bodies and health and wellness, it's a problem because the reality is, is that, um, although, uh, fatness and weight and whatnot could be, could potentially, um, lead to health problems, nothing is more unhealthy than, uh, extreme dieting or mm. disordered eating. And nothing will make a person uh, uh, more unhealthy than 
having a mental health issue that they're carrying around for their entire lives about the skin that they live in. Right. Like, I don't think we're talking about health in the, in a way that is actually making people more healthy. Right. <laughs> what we are trying, what doctors are doing is we're going in there and saying, yeah, I have a stomach ache. And then the doctor is saying, lose weight. <laughs> it's the weight. That's the problem. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I've heard so many stories over time that, um, and again, I have to take this, I have to put, place this in the context in which it exists, which is healthcare is not a, it's we, a lot of people don't have access to it. Right. Healthcare is a privilege in our country. Essentially, I've heard a lot of stories about um, individuals who are going to the doctor to get their health concerns taken care of, and they leave knowing one thing and one thing only that they must lose weight. Mm. It's happened to me before. And you're not feeling heard. And no. Well, I'm not being heard. Right. Um, I'm being treated like a fat person who is being stigmatized because I'm a fat. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a very, like, in, in, in the scope of the stories that I've heard from other fat women, and fatness is a spectrum, as you know. So mm -hmm. women who are identify as super fat or infinifat. You better believe when a, a very fat person goes into a doctor with any kind of ailment that they are so stigmatized by medical professionals. Mm -hmm. It's a wonder why how anybody gets any health care. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody's being treated for their actual ailments. Right. And I always say, like, my number one argument for the health pushback about the health, like, well, fatness could be acceptable, except it's unhealthy. Um, my response is always, what, why aren't we trolling cancer patients then? Mm. Like, what, why do you care? Is it, it's just because you can see it. Right. Um, but why are you so concerned about this particular health issue? Mm -hmm. Doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Uh, why are people so concerned about my health just because I'm fat? Mm -hmm. Makes no sense to me. Well, it almost reminds me of, we just spoke with uh, uh, Planned Parenthood, mm -hmm. and I was really struck by a lot of what they do is meeting people where they are. So it sounds like this is almost similar, where it's like, you know, there are fat people in this world of a uh, spectrum. Yes. And meeting them and talking to them on in that space. Yeah. Uh, it sounds more human than just being like, you know, obviously step one, you're doing something wrong <laughs> <laughs> and you need to fix that one wrong thing before right. I'm even going to talk to exactly. you. Um, extreme weight loss is a, it's a real problem in our world. And I think a lot of people, especially um, female and female identifying people mm -hmm. are uh, experiencing some kind of, um, adherence to diet culture, weight loss culture in some aspect of our lives. Um, and it's not considered disordered eating or an eating disorder because we haven't really created the language around what that looks like and, and is until it becomes so extreme mm -hmm. that you're starving yourself or you have other, you know, it, it's just, we don't address it until it becomes so rad radical and extreme. I've interviewed a lot of people who have been driven to extreme dieting by their doctors. Hmm. Doctors that are 
encouraging people to continue their, um, continue their, whatever they're doing to lose this weight. Mm -hmm. And these are individuals who are experiencing extreme mental illness, Mm. you know, the most fraught that they've ever been about eating something as basic as eating. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I just, it just boggles the mind that we have that much thinking to do Mm -hmm. about eating, feeding ourselves. What the real problem is are these messages that are being perpetuated in literally every single environment and space that we exist in um, and everything we consume and we watch that assigns morality to size. It gets wrapped into wellness, which is a very loose term that also has morality assigned to it. Um, uh, Body positivity is also being commodified. It's a term that is being used to sell products Mm -hmm. to unhappy people who are seeking salvation in in facial creams and um, cellulite reduction pills or whatever the fuck kind of like mud wraps people are getting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it centers around whiteness. As soon as things start to center white people and the white narrative, then we are simply regurgitating the same oppressive narrative that has been killing us forever since settler colonialism. Right. We can't break out of it if we continue to celebrate whiteness uh, as the pinnacle, something we should achieve. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I, could you mind explaining what is, what is this white narrative that we're being sold or commodified? Um, the white narrative, I think, is that whiteness, it's white supremacy. It's that whiteness is, um, um, whiteness is class. Mm. Whiteness is wealth. Uh, whiteness is correct. Um, and the white European beauty standard is almighty. It's uh, it's a really big problem. It's a really big problem. And it's also the reason why um, black women are the uh, beneficiaries of some of the worst treatment in our hi- country's history. Um, continued from point A till now. I mean, it, the, the most in, in, immense oppression um, is the the people that are at the other end of that spectrum mm-hmm. of whiteness. Um, so we have a lot of work to do around kind of deconstructing and um, identifying how whiteness um, exists in our own lives. Right. And right. if we would just consume more narratives by people of color and gender non-binary people and individuals who are living in these margins, who are speaking about it every day, all the time, if we would just center those narratives in our discourse, then we would see a lot of changes happening internally in ourselves mm-hmm. and in our communities. And we would become much more compassionate individuals and therefore much stronger advocates for people who are vulnerable to oppressive systems and structures. We first have to learn how to listen.
So I, you also talk a little bit about, and this is kind of similar, the toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. which we've covered here and there off and on throughout our podcast. Mm-hmm. But do you mind showing us how toxic masculinity can affect body image, uh, body yeah. uh, valuing the way we look at the uh, one thing that I talked with one of my guests about um, who is a male identifying um, person told me that essentially men aren't taught to men, men aren't allowed to emote and men aren't allowed to actually be in touch with their bodies in the same way that um, I think that women or female identifying people are mm-hmm. and are um, encouraged to be. Um, now, I have a lot of thoughts about the way in which female identifying people are told to interact with our bodies <laughs> or not. But um, I do think that the fact that um, men are not exposed to the language of uh, emotion and um, compassion and softness and uh, femininity at early ages really affects um, the avenues by which they feel free to explore um, relations with other people. I think it really hurts the way that men are relating to other humans. Mm. Men aren't having conversations with each other um, and, and having not just conversations, but emotional, deep, hard to have conversations with the, your closest people. Mm-hmm. If that is cut off, what, how are you doing anything? I do not know as a woman <laughs> how I would function safely and effectively in this world if I didn't have other women who share my experiences to reflect back to me what it is to affirm that what's happening to me is actually happening. Right. You know? Um, so I think that that is a big one. I think a, a big one is that men need to create community with each other mm-hmm. that, that are for men and that encourages um, emotion and, and, you know, deep conversation and like analysis and, and self-reflection. Yeah. And like you said, uh, focusing on those stories would help us become more compassionate. Yes. It's a, it's a work in progress, but I will say that, um, when it comes to changing people's minds, they're always apt to listen to people who look like them and sound like them and share experiences. I am much more ready to believe a native woman and follow her into battle than I am with a white guy. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine, um, that's why I say men are a part of the solution. White men are a part of the solution to this really toxic paradigm that we're living in right now. We need more men to speak out against the injustices that they are perpetuating. It's pertinent because there's a certain sect of the population that will only listen to that voice. So that's why so many people are like, use your privilege for good. In fact, I get really pissed off. 
that change isn't happening faster. I get very impatient because I think I know so many white dudes who have so much more power than I do. I can't believe they're not doing more. How is it that we are now again in our world going to bat for Roe v. Wade again? That makes no fucking sense to me. We need men to start to speak the fuck up about that. Like clearly women aren't being listened to. Nobody gives a shit about our rights. Well, it turns out men have a quite a lot of power in this situation. They're the ones voting on it in mm -hmm. Congress. Right. How do we sway those people? They're only listening to other men. So it's actually very important that men start to listen and learn and educate themselves and take up the responsibility of not being the leader, not being the voice, being the messenger. As an educator, I have had so much professional development around um, disability and race. We're even in education circles now talking about gender. We're talking about um, homophobia in our classrooms and in our schools and how to create safe spaces in our schools. Um, um, but who is the kid who gets bullied every day until they graduate from high school if they get to graduation? Who's the kid? Uh, probably gay or mm -hmm. fat mm -hmm. or disabled. Yeah. Most likely, if there's no safe space in your school community, uh, the, the gay kid mm -hmm. is getting bullied um, pretty readily. But we've learned how to create safe spaces for those students. Uh, a student with disability we have now laws that govern um, accessibility in public spaces. So you have to have elevators in multi-level schools now. You have to have ramps. You have to have special education classes that address learning disabilities. You have IDEA. You have entire a sub subset of um, laws that serve uh, children in education spaces. But there is absolutely nothing protecting a fat boy or a fat girl. There is nothing. Not only is there nothing protecting that child in a school, there is bias from their educators. Their educators are buying into these like ch childhood obesity, anti-obesity things, these fitness things. You have educators who are creating in their own schools as colleagues saying, let's do a diet. Let's do a, a, a diet club. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. why are we, how is it that uh, we are c c not even talking about that mm -hmm. in as educators, as, as professionals, um, the, the unemployment rate among fat, individuals is extremely high. Um, it's really hard as a fat, a super fat or infinite fat person to have gainful employment. Um, so I say that just to say that microaggressions are an issue, but aggression 
Mm-hmm. And violence is a real, actual issue, and especially against children. These are this is terrible. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying it, going to school as a fat child. It must be terrible. Right. And there's nowhere to hide. So I think when we talk about microaggressions, we're talking about those anything that is a comment that is laced with fat phobia. You know, it could be as simple as somebody in your midst complimenting somebody else about their thinness. You look so good. You must be losing weight. Mm-hmm. Um, one time I saw, um, um, I was a, in a circle of friends, thin friends, and we were um, waiting in line to go into a restaurant. And uh, we were just standing there kind of gabbing. And one friend said to another friend, oh my God, you look so skinny. And the Mm -hmm. other friend said, oh my God, say that again. Mm -hmm. Right? (laughs) So how am I supposed to feel about that? Right. I don't look skinny ever. I never have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is there ever a situation where you can comment on someone else's body? And me just saying it out is like, yeah, I guess not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the Uh, thing. Not... Uh, not on my body yeah because then we are we're assigning things mm-hmm. we're saying things are good or bad yeah you know and I don't want that for mm-hmm. my body I want encouragement about the choices that I make to be healthy if I'm if I choose to be sober mm-hmm. I need encouragement if I want to be sober you know if if I am choosing to um, not do chemo I want encouragement. My mm-hmm. choice is correct, you know? So I think that there's, I, you know, I, I could get trolled for ages about this, but I don't think there's anything about a person's body that we need to address. Mm-hmm. If we stopped doing that and actually complimented each other on each other's like personalities, anything oh, yeah. else, yeah. there's so much more happening in our lives than just the way that we look. Mm-hmm. Um, And I get it. I don't know. There's a lot of people out here that are working very hard for recognition about their weight loss. I mean, we as women have been taught that one of our primary goals in life has been to be, should be to be thin. If we're not actively searching, actively pursuing thinness, then we should at least be thinking about it and we should be coming up with ideas about how to become thin. Mm. So I get it. I don't blame women who are trying, who are uh, trying to attain thinness you're trapped in a shitty paradigm. You're down if you do, and you're down if you don't. Mm-hmm. I can say somebody looks beautiful, and that's not necessarily directly complimenting their body. Mm-hmm. I talk about body image issues in terms of indigeneity and the link between the silencing of Native American nar- narratives in the mainstream um, and the fact that our because our stories are silenced, because our history has been silenced, because people don't know that we still exist. There's some ridiculous statistic out right now that is 79% of um, people don't learn native history after fourth grade or something ridiculous wow. like that. I mean, it's it's insane. Yeah. And our history is American history. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so it and and the fact that our youth don't see people that look like them or who have the same experiences as them as them in mainstream culture, in the things that the media that they're ingesting, and they're ingesting a shit ton of media now. Mm-hmm. If they don't see anybody who's having those same experiences 
we ha- we are starting to see correlations with that and suicide rates. Mm. If you don't see your experience reflected in daily life, how do you know that you your experiences are valid or that they exist? Mm-hmm. I could be an invisible human being. You definitely don't feel like the world cares about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has direct implications in people's mental health and well-being and the way that they're advocated for in mainstream culture. So I think that body image goes way beyond just, am I fat or thin? Mm. It's about, am I being seen and heard? Right. And do no, do people even know about me? Am I an invisible entity in the world? Um, and there's just so much of that happening in our in mainstream culture. We are so inundated with white male culture all the time. We're versed. We get it. Right. We know exactly what that life is like. We're living it every day. Mm-hmm. So how do we talk to each other about our bodies? It doesn't necessarily have to be a romantic relationship. Yeah. But, but how do we enter into a space of kind conversation? Well, I think that we, I think that we simply open space. I don't know. I guess I don't know the answer to that because there's still conversations that are really hard to have. I think that we can ask people, Hey, what has been your experiences with, you know, feeling, thinking about your body? Mm-hmm. What, how, what do you think about your body? What's going on? Um, have you ever dieted and what, what kinds of diets have you tried and what did you not like? And, um, you know, and, going through that journey together would be exciting to Mm -hmm. me. That's opening up a whole channel of conversation that has really never been explored. And it it certainly has deepened a lot of my friendships with people that have been on my podcast and continue to be friends with, I continue to be friends with. We have a whole new layer of experiences to digest and divulge together. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating. It's really interesting to hear because you can't talk about fatness without talking about your past and mm-hmm. the way that we developed these ideas. And you can't not learn when you're talking about it because it's pretty likely that you've never talked about it before. Yeah. You know, so it's really an education. Um, it's it's all a matter of like learning about each other and telling our own stories and figuring out how to continue to tell our own stories and addressing the fact that we're all evolving and nobody's right or wrong and nobody's good or bad. Um, Let's take the value out of the equation and just tell the story. It is what it is. So for someone who's really looking at body neutrality or or positive, someone who's really trying to look at their own body or Mm -hmm. other bodies, do you have any advice of how you can get them down that path? Yeah. Um, my advice is always, uh, to center the most vulnerable people in your quest, center people who learn from people who are living on in the margins of our society and find your answers there. Equity actually advocating for equity means we have to center those people. If we're taking care of our most vulnerable, um, fat, black, trans sex worker, 
in our society, everybody else is going to be fine. You know right. what I mean? Right. Yeah. <laughs> we do the opposite. We take care of the richest and most powerful first in the hopes that their power and their uh, purpose will float magically <laughs> down to us. Mm -hmm. But if we go to the other end of the spectrum and we center the most vulnerable individuals, um, then we will find the solutions to making us, to helping our society flourish, honestly. And I also always tell people that body positivity and um, body justice, essentially, is, uh, it's not just about weight stigma. It's about racism. It really comes down to racism and uh, homophobia. It comes down to those core uh, issues. If, if we can eliminate a lot of the stigma that we have um, around race and gender, um, then we're going to inherently address uh, gender-based gender violence. We're going to start taking care of people of all sizes. <laughs> We're going to start to um, change the way we think about uh, the way that we think about health and wellness. All of that will change. Um, but we really have to go to those um, extremely marginalized people to figure out how to do that. And I will say that that mission may seem daunting. Um, but we need those challenges right now. God, we need them really bad. We need change so bad that, and, and the only reason we're not getting there is because we're not really looking in the right place. Hear more of Jana on our podcast, Woman of Size, available where you listen to podcasts. Follow her on Twitter at Woman of Size Pod and at Jana Unplugged. That's J A N A. UNPLGD. For other episodes of Straight White Guy Listening, please visit straightwhiteguylistening.com or follow us at SWG Listening on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember to subscribe, like, and review while you're there. Straight White Guy Listening is created and produced by Graham High and Rebecca Breithaupt. Special thanks to Janice Schmeeting for taking the time to speak with us. All music in this episode was written by Daniel Birch from the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. <laughs>